I want to talk about we're all missionaries, we're all evangelists. And it comes out in different forms. Acts 1.8 says, go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. That pretty much covers everywhere, doesn't it? And Dr. Ralph Winter from the U.S. Center for World Missions, he came up with this thing called the E-Scale. And E stands for evangelism, missions. And he basically said, we're all missionaries. And that's what Acts 1.8 says, too. And you're not good at all of them, but you're good at one of them. And today I want to challenge you to see where your gift lies. What Satan would like is for you to give up and say, well, I'm not going overseas, so I'm not a missionary. That's a lie. We're all missionaries. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. So let's go to the next slide, and I'll explain how it works. Here's how it works. E0 is ministry to people in your own church, your own family. My parents aren't saved. My sister's not saved. I've tried to reach them, but I haven't. So someone else is going to have to do it. E1. E1 is outreach to people that are similar to you in your own language, your own people group, your own generation. But that's missions too. E2 is what I'm good at. I'm good at glocal. I had to make up a word for it because there's no word. If you make up a word, eventually it becomes a real word. So I made it up 24 years ago, and now you can use it in Scrabble. But here's what it, you can laugh too. Global plus local equals glocal. The world has come to our cities, and now our cities are the gateway to the world. I got three C's in Spanish. I'm not going somewhere else, trust me. So I'm good at reaching people in my own country in English, reaching Tibetans, Somalis, Hispanics right here in my own country. When I grew up, my next door neighbor on one side was Cuban. My other next door neighbor was Japanese. Every day I ate their leftover food, and uh, that was their culture, to give the leftovers to, to someone else. And so I grew up being local, and I thought everyone was local. You know, you grew up, you think it's normal. And so that's kind of where I'm gifted at, is the local side. E3 is what we call traditional missions, going overseas, learning the language, learning the culture. That's traditional missions. But again, we're taught that only E3 is missions, but it's all missions. You're missionary here or you're missionary somewhere else. Let's go to the next slide. So I want to challenge you to figure out which one you're good at. You know, I'm good at E2, so I'm going to talk about E2. But you may not be good at E2. Don't, don't say, well, I'm done. I can't do what he does. There are people in this church that aren't saved. There are people in your family that aren't saved. You need to reach them. There are people in this neighborhood that aren't saved. Guess what? Somebody needs to reach out to them. And then there's people in our city, Tibetans, Somalis. I'm trying to reach them. Maybe some of you want to join me. And then there's people all over the world that need Jesus. And so somewhere you're on this chart. Somewhere you're on this chart. For example, Billy Graham is good at E1. I think he got three C's in Spanish, too. I've never heard him speak Spanish. He, doesn't go over, he goes overseas, but he has a translator. He doesn't speak the language. He doesn't eat camel burgers or something. Billy Graham could not even reach his own son. Franklin Graham was now head of the Billy Graham organization. Billy Graham couldn't reach him. Franklin Graham got kicked out of two Christian schools, which is hard to do when your dad's Billy Graham. You have to try. And so here's the deal. If Billy Graham just you know, felt bad and never gave up on missions doing E1, we wouldn't have a lot of people in our churches. And so someone else reached Billy Graham's son. Someone else is going to have to reach my parents, my sister. I've tried, but that's not where I'm gifted. So if we all do what God calls us to do, we will reach the world. If we all do what Satan wants us to do, feel bad for what we're not good at, we're not going to reach many people. 
So again, here today, if, even if you don't feel the calling, what I'm going to talk about, feel the calling for your neighborhood or your church or your family or overseas, okay? So let's go forward. You know, today we're going to take a tour. We're not going to physically leave, but we're going to do what Paul did in Acts 17. In Acts 17, Paul went to Athens, and he walked around the city, and he saw what was going on. He went to the marketplace. Paul would go to the mall, the Agora, the mall, and Paul knew the culture. He knew four languages. Paul spoke Greek, Aramaic, Hebrew, and Latin. Paul was cross-cultural missionary. Paul understood what it was to do missions. And so he walked around the city. He even quoted their own poets. That would be like me quoting Lady Gaga today. I'm not going to do it, but that would be the equivalent of it in his culture. And basically, Paul would see all the same things in Athens that he would see in Minneapolis. And we're not going to physically do a tour, but I do do tours. I take people on uh, tours of the Twin Cities. I've taken this church. I've taken 13,000 people on tours. I did one yesterday for Stillwater Free Church. So we're going to take a virtual tour today. We can't all fit on a bus, but we're going to go around the, the city and see what's going on and go around this city, too. So let's go to the next slide. So we can't bring Paul with us, but we're going to try. We're going to get in a DeLorean. I know you saw the movie. You're going to say you didn't, but you saw it. You probably saw all three. But we're going to get in a DeLorean with Doc Brown and, and uh, Marty McFly, and we're going to get 88 miles per hour. Isn't that right? I know you saw it. You just won't admit it. And we're going to go pick up Paul, and we're going to bring him back to 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 the Twin Cities, to America. We're going to show him around. And so we're going to show you around, too. And so we're going to look at what's going on in America, and then we're going to look at what's going on in the Twin Cities, and then in your community, Plymouth, Maple Grove, uh, Wyzetta. Okay? So that's where we're going today in the DeLorean. So let's, let's take Paul and drive around America. What would Paul see? What, what are we going to see in America today? Well, America is the most religiously diverse nation to ever exist. And this is God doing this. It doesn't matter what your theology is. Either God's causing it or God's allowing it. Either way, God's doing it. And either way, God wants us to react. He wants us to, to, to join him in reaching out to the people that he's bringing to this, to this city, to this country. And I didn't desecrate the flag. Someone else did, so don't yell at me. But basically, this flag represents not the states, but the, the religions that are now part of our country. So let's go to the next slide. Have you ever read the book Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell? Who's read that book? Show me your hands. One person? Okay, we'll hang out later. But the book talks about tipping points. A tipping point is change happens all the time, and we don't see it until it becomes like a flood, like trickle, 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 flood. And all of a sudden you go, wow, there's change. Well, change has been happening all along. You just don't see it. And so today I'm going to show you that America is at a tipping point. We all sense it. Politically, we know we're at a tipping point. Socially, we're at a tipping point. Uh, economically, we're at a tipping point. But guess what? We're at a tip of tipping point religiously, too. And I'm going to show you what's happening. And again, remember, God's in control here. It's not like God went on vacation and left us alone. God knows what's going on, and I think this is the greatest chance in history to reach people that are, have been traditionally hard to reach. And they're literally at your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your school, uh, even in your own family. 
And so let's see what God's doing. Let's see what this tipping point generation's about. Well, uh, a new immigrant arrives legally in America every 31 seconds. So even in the time I've talked, there's people coming to America that have never heard Jesus. 90% of them are not Christian. 10% are, but 90% don't know Jesus. And we call this the Great Commission in reverse. Most of us are not going to go to Guatemala or India or Ecuador or somewhere. And God's going to bring those people to our city. And they're going to be right there for us to reach out to. And a tipping point happened in America 11 years ago, but most of us don't know it. Hispanics became the second largest group after white people. They surpassed African Americans. That happened 11 years ago. That's a tipping point, but we haven't seen the effect of it. But you will feel the effect the rest of your life. This word glocal, you will learn it because you will live a glocal life. The rest of your life will be glocal. Okay, let's go to the next slide. Here's some more tipping points. 2006, America reached 300 million people. They did kind of a pre-census in 2007. A third of the people in America today are non-white. A third. Okay, that's a tipping point. If you don't believe me, look at the next tipping point. In 2009, for the first time in American history, more non-white babies were born in America than white, pe- or than white babies. So again, that's a tipping point. It's never happened. God's doing it. And look at, again, if you don't believe me, here's another tipping point. 2010, you all filled out your census form, and if you didn't, you know, someone came to your door and asked you some questions. Uh, in 2010, we found out that the last 10 years, 90% of the growth in America was non-white. 90%. That's a tipping point. That's the word glocal. That's changing the face of our nation. Okay? So when all those kids that are being born in 2009 and other uh, 2010, when they start going to school over the next 10, 12 years, half the kids in public school in America will be non-white. Half. This is just 12 years, 13 years from now, 12 years from now, whatever. Can't do the math. 11 years from now, sorry. Forgot what year we are. But the point is, this is going to change everything. And then 20 years later, when those kids start having kids... Everyone in America will be a minority by 2042. We will all be global. Everything we do, every conversation we have, the food we eat, everything will be cross-cultural. And so we're all going to have to live in this world. This is not 200 years from now. This is not maybe someday. This is real. So the word global will influence everything you do, including outreach, including missions. So let's go to the next slide. So this word is a real word. Global plus local equals global. That's the face of your neighborhood. That's the face of America. That's the face of the Twin Cities. Okay? Now here's some other cities that have already become local. We're just in the process of tipping. These cities have already tipped. L.A., second largest Mexican, Filipino, Salvadorian, Korean, and Samoan city in the world. Okay? I've never been to any of those places. I guess I've been to Mexico. But the point is, the world is coming to our cities. Our cities are the gateway to the world. 800,000 Iranians in L.A. Most of us will never go to uh, Iran. God knows that. He brings them right to our doorstep. Missionaries have dreamed of this time for hundreds of years. And now it's upon us. Look at the second city, Miami. Second largest Haitian city, second largest Cuban city in the world. Okay? 
Detroit. We have a city vision in Detroit because it's the largest uh, Muslim city in America. So we've started a ministry there. Look at the Muslim population, Iraqis, Arabs, Yemeni. You've been to Yemen lately? The CIA can't even go to Yemen. They have to send the drones there. So God knows that. He brings Yemeni right to our city. In uh, Detroit, I, I did a tour. I spoke to 75 pastors, and we went to a church that reaches out to Yemenis. It's right across the street from a mosque. And the Yemenis come to the church. They learn to be citizens, citizenship classes. They say the Pledge of Allegiance every day. They learn computer skills. They have a community garden. It's several acres, and the Christians come there and do uh, gardening, but the Yemenis come and do gardening. And there's just all these opportunities to reach out. You and I can't go to Yemen. The CIA can't even go to Yemen. God brings Yemenis right here to our own community, like Detroit. St. Louis, largest Bosnian population in America. San Jose, I've been there. Little Saigon, 80,000 Vietnamese. 130,000 in greater Bay Area. Look at San Francisco. Ni hao? No one speaks Chinese. They have real Chinese food there. No one laughed. Okay, we'll go to the next slide. You're supposed to laugh on cue. Anyways, now most of us, in our head, we think America looks different than it is. Most of us think America looks like this. When Dr. Ralph Winter created the E-Scale, this is how America looked. But guess what? It hasn't looked this way since pre-Star Wars. Okay, so 37 years ago, this is how America looked. 87% were white, mostly church. There were some nominal Christians. I could tell you the church they didn't go to, but mostly church. And then African-American, 11%. All Hispanic, Asian, African, Native American combined were 2%. So the minority in America really was a minority, 13% of the whole population. In our head, that's what we think America looks like. But let's go to the next slide. This is really what it looks like. This is today. White people went from 87% down to 64%. Instead of being mostly church, it's mostly unchurched. They don't even claim to go to church anymore. Okay? Look at Hispanic went from 1% to 16% in 37 years. African American only went up 1%. The population grew, but the percent only went up by 1%. And you could see Asian, African, Native American all went up. So the minority went from 13%, almost tripled, to 37% in 37 years. That's huge growth. Again, most of us think it's in our head the way the previous slide. This is how it is. Here's how it's going to be when we all live in E2 land in local America. We're going to be, in 2050, I'll be 86. Some of you will be younger than me, but... White people will be 47%. Hispanic will double again to 30%. African-American will stay about the same. Same percentage the population will grow. Asian, African will all go up. Native American about the same. The minority will become the majority. The minority will equal 53%, which isn't a minority anymore. If you're a math major, you can figure that out. The minority will be the majority. We will all be a minority. And that will change how we do church, how we do missions. And again, God's in control here. It's not just some accident of nature. This is God making missions easy. We're all missionaries. So the word glocal you will live with from today on for the rest of your life. Okay, let's go to the next slide. So we talked about America, how it's changing. 
I teach kind of like a funnel. So now we'll go to the Twin Cities, and then we'll end up at the bottom of the funnel funnel in your area, your neighborhood. So let's look at the Twin Cities on our little tour. Something will pop up. There we go. In 2002, the Brookings Institute named the Twin Cities one of the top ten gateway cities in America for new immigrants and refugees. Just one of ten cities. Okay? We have over three-quarters of a million people that were not born here. They might be citizens now, but they were not born here, or they're children of people not born here. My wife's a former Muslim from Indonesia. I got married in Jakarta, Indonesia, 15 years ago. Um, so she's part of this. We have 216 languages spoken in the Twin Cities. 216. I can't even speak Spanish, you know. The Phillips neighborhood in South Minneapolis, 100 different languages in one neighborhood. It's the most diverse neighborhood in America. You can do Acts 1-8 all in one neighborhood. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Just one neighborhood has the whole world in it. Okay, let's, the light rail. Some of you have taken light rail. They sell tickets in four languages. Luckily, one of them is English. English, Spanish, Hmong, Somali. And they're going to add more languages to the St. Paul track. Again, Paul, if Paul came today, he wouldn't speak Greek, Aramaic, Latin, and Hebrew. He'd speak English, Spanish, Hmong, and Somali, at least in the Twin Cities. Uh, Eat Street. I went there yesterday on the tour. Twenty years ago, Eat Street was not Eat Street. It was Nicollet Avenue. And there were three ethnic restaurants in six blocks. And it was a pretty bad area. You wouldn't want to eat there. And now, 20 years later, the immigrants created jobs. They didn't take any jobs away. They created jobs. And now there's 75 ethnic restaurants in six blocks. And now it's called Eat Street. It's like this trendy, cool place to go. You know, you've all been to the Mall of America, the largest mall in America, right? Well, now, and most of you know Edina, Southdale, the very first mall ever created in history. Did you know that? So we're kind of a mall people. But we have Hispanic malls, and we have Hmong malls, and Somali malls, and Laotian malls. Yesterday, on the tour, we went to the Somal of America. Nobody got it. Okay. But they have their own malls. And they, you know, they sell camel, and goat, and yak, and guinea pig, and all your favorite foods. And by the way, you make fun of their foods, but they're making fun of your foods. Trust me. What do you think smells and tastes better, camel or lutefisk? I rest my case. Okay. Okay, let's go on. Look at these beautiful girls that my friend took a picture of. So who are these people in our city that God's brought here? And most of, some of you know these groups, but the Hmong population, we had the largest Hmong population in America. The Hmong were our allies during the Vietnam War. They fought in secret. They were recruited by the CIA. It's called the Secret War. And more Hmong died in the Vietnam War than Americans. We owe some of our freedom to them. And they've come here as refugees. The word Hmong means to be free. They've never had their own country. They've always been on this exodus journey. They've always been persecuted people. They understand the book of Exodus quite well. Uh, So we have the two largest Hmong churches in the world. We're reaching mom and dad. They're both mega churches. But you know what? We're not reaching the kids. There are more Hmong gangs in the Twin Cities than Hmong churches. They don't want to go to mom and dad's church. They don't want to go to my church. We need some multicultural churches, or we need a different way to reach out. So when we think of reaching out cross-culturally, we've got to think of generation, too. 
I can reach a Hmong, you can reach a Hmong better than a Hmong can reach a Hmong. Now, that may sound strange, but because of their culture, their clan culture, there's only 17 clans, and there's all these rules, can't marry the same clan, and their shame-based culture, if I share with Jesus and someone rejects it, the whole clan has dishonor. I'm not Hmong, you're not Hmong, we can go share our faith freely, we can help them, and they will listen to us out of respect for our culture, and I can reach a Hmong better than you can, or than they can reach a Hmong, you can reach a Hmong better than they can. And they, they, they ask us to help them. They ask us to come alongside and, and pray for them and help them in their uh, journey here. So there's certain groups where we can be better evangelists to their group than they can. Sounds strange, but it's true. It's also true with Somalis. We have the largest Somali population in America, 77,000 Somalis God brought here. You can't go to Somalia even if you want to. Even if you learned the language and the culture you, and raised your support and went over there for missions, you can't get a visa. The American government will not give you a visa. It's not safe. Again, the CIA can't even go to Somalia. Now, we could sneak across the border, but we'd be killed or kidnapped. God knows that. He brings Somalis right to our neighborhoods, right to our workplaces. Out of 77,000 Somalis, we have 26 Christian believers. 26. It's a mission field. On our staff, on our, my board at City Vision, we have a good German uh, Swedish guy named Mohammed Mohammed, and he's a Somali Christian. And he, he became a Somali Christian back uh, 12 years ago. He was the first one we think in America. We thought he was a spy at first, and he wasn't, and he got baptized, and he, he told his wife, and his wife divorced him. And he was part of the first Somali church in America that our ministry started in 2002. But again, I just talked to Muhammad last night. I can reach Somalis and you can reach Somalis better than he can. He'll be persecuted or he'll be, you know, it, it won't be good. So again, we have some opportunities to reach people that God's brought right to our city. Some other groups, the Liberian, largest Liberian population, God brought them all here. That's what they think. They think God brought them here to help us reach America. That's what they said. We have a, a Liberian pastor's prayer group. We pray every Friday for a couple hours. We don't pray for Liberia. We pray for the city. We don't just pray for Liberians. We pray for everyone. They feel that God brought them here as missionaries to reach America with us and for us. Then we have the largest Karen population. They're Christians. They're persecuted. They're from Burma. 150 years they've been Christians, and 150 years they've been persecuted. Now God brought them here, back to our city. The Anyuk, they're a Sudanese tribe, and God's brought them to our city. And then the Oromo, they're an Ethiopian people group, and God's brought them here. You may never have heard of them, but God's brought them here. Okay? And then we have the second largest Tibetan population in America, right in our Twin Cities. They've been in our Twin Cities for 20 years. In 20 years, we've reached zero. Not too good. So two weeks ago, we had a meeting, and I organized it. We had a meeting, and we invited... Um, there's only about 200 known Tibetan Christians in the world. They're very much an unreached people group. They have a saying, to be Tibetan is to be Buddhist. They don't even have a word for pastor in their language. How do you communicate with them about Jesus? It's hard, but it's not so hard. There's many ways to do it. In the past, we had a Christmas party. For Tibetans, 65 came to a church. 
but their oral culture. They don't read and write even in their own language. You show them the Jesus video in Tibetan. They're like, wow, God or Jesus speaks Tibetan? I said he does today. And uh, we showed them on a map where Jesus is born. They thought he was born in America. You know, they didn't know. They didn't know where he was born. And then they said, hey, can we do another party? I said, yeah, we can. So we did a Thanksgiving party. We had 101 Tibetans come. I had 101 Christians. I made it one-on-one so everyone would talk to one. And we served some yak. My wife's a chef, and she can, and she's a caterer. She made some yak, and, they, and we brought some turkey, and they never eaten turkey. And then we told them the story of the pilgrims who were persecuted for their faith, who came to America, and they thought America was God's chosen place for them. The Tibetans got the story. They said, that's our story. We were persecuted because we're Buddhists. And they said, we think God brought us to America. I said, I think you're right. I think God wants them to be reached here. And they said, can we do more stuff? We teach our kids how to drive, and we do all these things. So one little thing led to like ten ministries. Still haven't reached any yet, but we're working on it. So two weeks ago, we had a meeting. There's only 13 known Tibetan Christians in North America. We invited all 13 to come and teach us how to, to share the gospel, how the, how, you know, what works. They gave their testimony. They led in worship. Four of them came. They'd never been in the same room before. They never met each other. And after two days together, they all said, we're moving here. We want to help you start this first Tibetan church in America. They're all 13 are moving here. In a matter of months, one's coming June. You know, it's just like they got it. They they want to they they want to be together. They're so hungry for the word, and they want to reach the city with us, and they want to reach Tibetans. So again, God's got some unbelievable experiences for us in our city. Let's go to the next few slides here. Uh, during the 1990s, we were the ninth fastest growing Asian city in America. We were eighth fastest growing Hispanic city, the Twin Cities. And we were number one fastest growing African city in America. So a lot of this is new. Again, that tipping point idea, the trickle, 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 it's starting to become a flood. Um, the largest Chinese student population in America is at the University of Minnesota. One of your partners is this hospitality center for Chinese. Great opportunity to reach these people. Uh, Janae Wells, the director, she was on my board for several years. Very good ministry. One church near the University of Minnesota. We did an alpha class. It's like 10, 12 years ago now. Did an alpha class. My wife catered um, the food. Yeah, stomach evangelism works on everybody. I tell, I tell you this. It's going to work on you today. You're going to eat cake, you know. I tell people, serve food in your church. Your church will double in size, and so will you. So, so we had cake, you know. We had Chinese food, and they came. And, yeah. And so, anyways... So this small church of 40 did an Alpha class, and 93 people came to the Alpha class from 26 countries. And I was Alpha leader on the small group, and my, one of my guys was a general in the Chinese Army. Can you imagine a general in the Chinese Army getting his Ph.D. at the U of M? He accepted Jesus the first night. He was so ripe. He was so ripe. And after he became a Christian, he said, you would never reach me in China. I said, you're right, i got three C's in Spanish. So, you're right. But he said, you could bribe and you would never reach me in China. And there he is in a church, eating Chinese food, going to Alpha class, and he accepts Jesus. And guess what? The story didn't end there. His, his wife came over, his daughter came over, he shared, he shared the gospel with them. They both accepted Jesus. And then it didn't end there. 
He went to a good Chinese church over in St. Paul. It's a big church, 600 people, uh, three services, one in English, Mandarin, Cantonese. Good church. And he wanted to get baptized, but he didn't want to get baptized in that church. But he wouldn't tell me why. He wanted me to find another church to baptize him. I said, it doesn't work that way. You've got to be a member. You've got to go to that church. But he told me for two months he wanted to get baptized, but not in that church. Finally, he told me why. He said, before I left to come to America, I sent a spy to, to, to that church. So there's a spy in our Chinese church here in Minneapolis, and if he becomes baptized, they will create a file on him. He'll have to go back and go to prison. And so, again, think about how we do church differently. Maybe, maybe I have to get people baptized in this church that are never going to come just for their protection. Somalis, Tibetans, uh, Chinese. Maybe, you know, what's more important, grow the kingdom or grow, you know, that they become a member? I think it's kind of a no-brainer. But we have to do things differently. We have to think about mission strategically. Kofi Annan, the Secretary General to the United Nations, he's trying to broker a peace treaty with Syria right now. He was, a, he was a student at McAllister College in St. Paul. Think about what Christian had shared their faith or, let, or invited them over for dinner. Think about world politics, how it would be different today. These are tomorrow's leaders in our universities. 39 current world leaders were once university students in America. And again, think about just, just having a meal or inviting them to church or hanging out with them. Think about what that would do for world politics. Anyways... In 2004, Minnesota became third in the nation behind California and Florida for new refugees and immigrants. Those are huge states, so we're number one per capita. Look at this guy. He rode his bike right in front of the sign there. So I'll read the sign. It says, we sell halal meat, camel meat. See, I wasn't lying. Camel meat, fish, chicken, liver, beef, goat, lamb, kidneys, and phone cards. So don't forget your phone card with your cake today. Anyways, keep going. Now, they don't all live in the Phillips neighborhood. They live in your neighborhood and my neighborhood. Half the immigrants in the Twin Cities live in the suburbs, which we now call the ethnoburbs. We have to make up a new name for it. So I live in Burnsville. We have 3,500 Somalis in my neighborhood. We have four mosques. And I'm going to show you your neighborhood in a minute. This is the light rail. Look at the languages there. I took the picture. English is D on there. Somali, uh, Hmong, Spanish. So again, people live wherever they want, and they're going to continually live all over. You'll see in a minute all the languages in your neighborhood. Let's go to the next slide. Islam is the fastest-growing religion in the world and in America, and it's pretty fast-growing in our city, too. We have 119 mosques. Eight of them are in former church buildings. They look like churches. They were. They lost their salt and light, and now they're mosques. Um, let's go to the next slide. This is my neighborhood. You have, a, you have a mosque in your neighborhood in Plymouth, but I couldn't find a picture, so I had to put one for my neighborhood. This used to be a Snyder drugstore on Highway 13 in Burnsville, and now it's a mosque. And notice they don't call them mosques. They call them community centers, cultural centers, institutes. No one wants a mosque in their neighborhood, and they know that, so they don't call them mosques in America. They're contextualizing to you, so you're not offended. And they're going to build the largest mosque in America in Minneapolis. We don't see our city as a mission field, but they do. They're going to try to reach America from Minneapolis. It's going to be a mega mosque. It's going to cost three, uh, $48 million. That's what Grace Church Eden Prairie costs, and that holds 4,500 people. So this will be a huge mega mosque. They see our city as a mission field. Okay? 
and we have a lot of Buddhists. You can go to the next slide. It's a quick one. We have a lot of Buddhist temples, and we have the largest Cambodian Buddhist temple in America, down by my house. I could have lunch with this guy every day of my life if I want. Uh, this guy is in a little suburb of Lakeville, Farmington. Largest Cambodian Buddhist temple in America, right here. They see our city as a mission field. Why don't we? Okay? And then we have a lot of Hindus. A lot of them live in this neighborhood, too, by the way. We have four Hindu temples and former churches. Go to the next slide. The largest Hindu temple in North America is in Maple Grove. Highway 94, right by Church of the Open Door. 20 acres of land, $20 million. 21 mini temples to gods and goddesses within there. This is not India. If I showed you this picture, you'd say, that's India. No, that's Maple Grove. That's your neighborhood. This, they see America as a mission field. They see this city as a mission field. And they're going to try to reach you and your kids. Okay? And then, on top of all this, the witches think we're a mission field, too. We're called Paganistan or Paganistan. We're the witch capital of America. 20,000 witches. On the tour, one witch coven even meets in a church. Okay? In this church, they t- the pastor... Uh, they asked the pastor, would you take that cross down? It kind of offends us. And there's also a Zen Buddhist group meeting in this church. And the pastor took the cross down. And he put up the yin and yang symbol instead, this Eastern religious symbol. So again, if we lose our salt and light, if we become nothing, or we become everything, we become nothing. Jesus is the only way, and we need to share that with everyone. So you can see, we even had a witch run for governor of Minnesota in 2006. He didn't win, luckily. But he went to jail because he practiced polygamy as part of his witchcraft religion. So we're a mission field for the, for the witches, too. Okay, let's go a couple slides. Look at this. Look at the top ten religious groups in our city. Don't tell me this is not a mission field. We have more witch covens than Catholic churches. Witch covens are small, Catholic churches are big, but that should still be shocking. More mosques than Baptists and Methodist churches. More Buddhist temples than free churches. And covenant churches. This is what this is our mission field for most of us. Okay. Now look at look at your neighborhood. I want you to most of you live in Wyzetta, Maple Grove, or Plymouth. Look at the languages in your neighborhood. Look at the people groups. Some of them are small. Some of them are big. But again, most of us are not going to go overseas. These people are in your neighborhood. They're in your schools. They're in your neighborhood. They work with you. They. They hang out with you. You go to restaurants and stores together. This is your mission field. This is what I'm talking about, local. And 90% of them don't know Jesus. Depending on the people group, it can be even higher. So God's doing something unique, and we need to be engaged in that. So let's go to the next slide. Guess what, Toto? We're not in Kansas anymore. It doesn't work for the younger generation. We're not in the Matrix anymore. They quoted that in the Matrix. But here's the deal. In the first part of The Wizard of Oz, it's all in black and white. Most of us see our city in America as black and white. But really, like the second half of The Wizard of Oz, it's all in living color. Our city now is, our city and our country is in living color. And again, God's doing this. It's not by accident. I'm not a prophet, so don't stone me if I'm wrong. But I really believe what happens in this city, in the Twin Cities, and our country in the next five to ten years is a tipping point, religiously. And I believe that we have an opportunity to reach our country and our world through these people. I think God's given us a gift.
I think it's the Great Commission in reverse. But we have to we have to do something. We can't just say, wow. You know, we have to engage, and that's what you guys are doing through those ministries that you work with. Let me give you a few suggestions. First of all, Satan has a plan to defeat the church. Ignorance, fear, and hate. We have a saying at City Vision, you can't do the prayer care share unless you know they're there. You can rap to it too if you want. But the point is, you're not going to pray for people, you're not going to care for them, you're not going to share the gospel with them if you don't know they exist. Now today we took care of the ignorance part. But some of you, if you're honest, some of you are a little bit afraid. That's not from the Holy Spirit. Fear does not come from the Holy Spirit. That's Satan. Satan wants you to be a little bit afraid. And some of us, some Christians, probably not here, but some Christians hate Muslims. They hate Buddhists. They hate everybody. Jesus said you're to love your neighbor as yourself. Hate is not an option. Hate is from Satan. And if you are ignorant, afraid of someone, or you hate them, you're going to turn your back. You're going to run and hide. No one ever came to Jesus through ignorance, fear, or hate. The Holy Spirit has his own plan. Let's see what the Holy Spirit has a plan. The Holy Spirit wants us to use our spiritual gifts. He wants us to use um, the fruit of the Spirit. Joy, peace, patience, love, you remember. Galatians 5. My wife in Indonesia, her family had been Muslim for a thousand years. She saw that Christians were joyful. And that's what attracted her to Jesus. It's against the law to share the gospel in Indonesia, even with your own family. Why has there been a great revival for 50 years? Because Christians are joyful. And people see that in us. We're the church, not our building, not our denomination. People see us as the church, and they, they're attracted to that joy and that love and the peace and the patience and the kindness and the, the Galatians 5. That's what they see in us. And that's what attracts, that's the attractive piece of the gospel. Again, just be a friend. Be a friend to a Chinese, be a friend to anybody. And, and God can use that. Hospitality translates in every language. Food, again, works on everybody. Okay, let's go to the next one. I always use the wisdom literature. People are like, can I use the Bible? Can I share the Bible with a Muslim? Absolutely you can. Job, I use the wisdom literature. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Job, these have universal themes. Job's about suffering and evil. Job's the oldest book in the Bible. It's written by a non-Jew about a non-Jew. Everyone suffers evil, uh, problem of evil and suffering. You can study this with them. They're not going to run away. They're going to say thanks. Proverbs, every group has Proverbs. Americans have Proverbs. Somalis have Proverbs. Tibetans have Proverbs. They love Proverbs. Yesterday at the Somali restaurant, I told him a, a Christian proverb. He loved it. And I told him it's from the Bible. Ecclesiastes, who doesn't want to know the meaning of life? Again, studying the Bible, it's okay. They're not going to run and hide. Now, the Chinese have two sayings that I like, two proverbs. One says, starting is what stops most people. It's not Satan, it's starting. We give Satan too much credit. The other one is, raise your sail one foot and you get ten feet of wind. In our case, the wind is the Holy Spirit. If we do one thing, God will multiply it ten times, twenty times, a hundred times. That's what those Proverbs are about in the Bible, those parables. That's what they're about. Okay? Now, can't see that very well, but basically, where do we start? We start with prayer. And then we start to uh, prepare. We start to plan. And we start to partner. You guys partnered with nine churches yesterday. That's great. And you penetrated into the community. You did some good works and you talked to people. And most of it was one-on-one. 
And then guess what? You proclaim the gospel by what you did, by what you said. Word and deed, not either or, both and. And guess what? The Holy Spirit's going to use yesterday. Some people are going to be persuaded by the Holy Spirit to come to know him. And guess what? Some of them are going to be planted in this church. But if this church isn't right for them, they'll be planted in other churches or a Tibetan church, or we have to start a new church. And then God's going to get the praise. God's going to be exalted at the top. It's not a cookie-cutter model, but it's a pathway. This is how you came to know Jesus, too. And that's how we reach out, and that's why I love what you guys did yesterday. Now, I talked about the tipping point, and I just have one more slide, I think, after this. But basically, the innovators get it. When Paul went to Acts 17, this curve is in Acts 17. And when Paul went to Athens, here's what happened. He preached the gospel. 3% said, sign me up. This is great. It lists their names in Greek. There's only two or three, four names listed. Some said, I want to hear more later. They're the early adopters. They hang out together. They watched what the innovators did. Most of them said nothing, the silent majority. The laggards at the end, they said, Paul's drunk. Paul's a babbler. Paul's crazy. What's this strange doctrine he's teaching? Now, who did Paul listen to? Did he listen to the laggards? No, he started a church with the innovators. He started a church with the early adopters. Some of you are innovators. You need to get together. You need to get together with the early adopters. This church is an innovative church. What you're doing is innovative. Keep going. It will bear fruit. It will bear fruit. Don't listen to the laggards. Don't listen to Satan that says you're wasting your time or this isn't missions. It is. Okay? This is the last slide. These two verses have not left my head for three years. When I I teach at Northwestern College, I was preparing for Old Testament. I read through for my 17th time through. These two verses jumped out for such a time as this. Acts 17 said God chose the time and place you be born. Why? For such a time as this. It's not an accident that you live where you live. It's for such a time as this. And the other verse that won't leave my head is where there's no vision, the people perish. These are the people perishing in Wyzetta, Maple Grove, and Plymouth. In America. So this is what God's doing, and we need to be a part of it. Let me pray, and then we'll move on. Dear Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Thank you for this church and all that they're doing, Lord. And Lord, just bless the people here. Bless the innovators that are doing these things. And Lord, we pray for great fruit in the city and our country. And we just thank you again, and we just praise you in Jesus' holy name. Amen.